Well, good morning. A few things have happened in our house over the past week that have made me feel like we're returning to a little bit of normalcy. The first is that our neighborhood pool opened, which was really exciting. The second is that it is now baseball season for our family. And the third, and the most exciting for me, is that my husband's COVID beard, which has begun to look a little bit like a dead animal on his face, is finally gone. I don't know about you, but hopefully you're having some things that are making life feel a little bit more normal and hope you are enjoying the start to the summertime. Well, if you're from Atlanta, you may know that since 1928, the Varsity has been a downtown Atlanta institution with the world's largest drive-in restaurant. And if you've been there, you know that there's a familiar saying that, that the cashiers say as people are walking to place their order. If you'd like to say it out loud from the comfort of your couch, feel free to shout it out. What'll you have? What'll you have? It's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? Well, the grease content in the food is so heavy that I can really only eat there every couple of years, but I have to say that those onion rings and the frosted orange shake are to die for, aren't they? Is anyone else ready for lunch today? Well, my question for us this morning is similar to the Varsity's, what'll you have? The question we will explore together without the Southern twang is, what do you have? What have you been given? What do you possess? What gifts, abilities, and opportunities has the Lord given you? What comes to mind when you think of that question? Maybe for you, you start to think of your possessions and resources. Most of us have cars, houses, plenty of food and clothing, and an abundance of things that provide for both our needs and our wants. Maybe you answered this question more in line with your skills and gifts. What are you good at? What comes naturally to you? What strengths do you have? Or maybe you began to think of some of the blessings that God has poured into your life. Relationships, family, love, freedom, good health. We've all been given a lot, haven't we? Well, over the past few weeks, we've been moving through the book of Acts. To refresh your memory, in Acts chapter 1, we talked about how Jesus commissioned his disciples to be his witnesses, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Then, on Pentecost Sunday, we turned to Acts chapter 2, and Drew spoke about how when the Spirit comes, it, our perspective shifts outward, and we begin to live for the sake of others. And when the Spirit moves in our lives, we recognize that, that everything we have been given is always for the sake of others. This was the mindset of the early disciples. In fact, at the end of chapter 2, it says that they shared everything they had with one another. It says they even sold their possessions to take care of one another's needs. Well, with this background in mind, will you turn with me now to our scripture passage this morning from Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. 
Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went to them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I remember hearing this story for the first time when I was a little kid in Sunday school. We learned a song that went along with it, and the part I remember is the chorus that said he went walking and leaping and praising God. And our takeaway from the lesson was that we too should walk around the room, walking and leaping and singing our praises to the Lord. Well, the beauty of worshiping from home is if that is the takeaway for you this morning, you're welcome to get up right now and leap around the room and praise the Lord. But however, through our current lens that we're studying, the book of Acts as this movement of the Holy Spirit, empowering the disciples to share the gospel of Jesus with the world and living out our faith for the sake of others, we turn our focus today to Peter and John to see what we can learn from their spirit-empowered example. And to explore our question this morning, we need to ask what did they have and how did they use what they had been given? The interesting thing is that they didn't have what the man was actually asking for. They did not have money. This man, it says, was placed by the beautiful gate. Family or friends dropped him off every day so he could beg for money. This was his daily routine. Now, the Jews who were going to the temple also had a daily routine. They went three times a day at 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. to pray. And they would pass through this beautiful gate on their way to the temple. Well, almsgiving was something that was encouraged in the Jewish faith, so these beggars strategically placed themselves where they knew these faithful temple-goers would stop and likely give them a donation on their way in. This, the, our text says this man went every day to the temple, so his face was likely a familiar one in the crowd. In fact, later it says that people recognized him after he was healed. So as Peter and John enter, the man asks them for money. And this was probably not a surprise to them, something they were used to experiencing. But what is noteworthy is their response. Listen to what it says in verse 4. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Peter and John stop to take a close look at the man. This is an expression of deep compassion. They both stopped to have face-to-face -face contact with him. You can imagine, with his head bowed down in shame, they ask him to raise his eyes and look at them. Can you feel the tenderness in their response? 
They stopped not only to acknowledge him, but to have a face-to-face -face encounter that acknowledged his God-given dignity. Well, a friend of mine from college taught me a life lesson that I've never forgotten. He had spent a semester up at our college's urban campus up in San Francisco. So a group of us went up there to visit, and we were at, talking one evening about what he had learned and just um, how, what the experience had been like. And he said this, he said, you know, we have learned whenever you pass a homeless person on the street to stop, look them in the eye, and acknowledge their presence. And even if they ask you for money and you don't have anything to give, look them in the eye and tell them. He said that this experience had shown him that often what some of these people needed even more than money was human connection. And so when he had extra time, he'd stop and strike up a conversation with people. Looking at them in the eye, acknowledging their presence, taught him to see their need. And it also confronted him with what he did have to give. As a broke college student, he had time and he had the ability to give somebody his attention. Well, even though Peter and John didn't have any money to give this man, they had much more than silver, gold, or even a conversation to give him. They had been given the ability to heal the man of his physical ailment in the name of Jesus Christ. The lame man, he asked for what he thought he wanted and needed in the moment. But God gave Peter and John the ability to give him so much more than he bargained for. A new lease on life and the ability to walk. In Acts chapter 4, it tells us that the man had been lame for over 40 years. Can you imagine how this miraculous healing changed the trajectory of his life? Well, this story is a powerful demonstration of the power of Jesus to do the miraculous. Peter and John had been given the authority to heal in Jesus' name. And we see throughout the book of Acts that these signs and wonders performed by the early disciples were given to authenticate the gospel message. While we certainly believe that God performs miracles today, some theologians believe that the miraculous gifts were even more prevalent in the first century because there was a need to authenticate this new gospel message and its messengers. Systematic theologian Wayne Grudem writes, when miracles occur, they give evidence that God is truly at work and so serve to advance the gospel. Miracles authenticate God's message and his messengers. And typically, whether the miracle was performed by Jesus or the disciples, there's also a proclamation of the gospel alongside it. What immediately follows this miracle is a sermon given by Peter where he tells the story of Jesus' death and resurrection and calls the people to repentance. Later, he proclaims that salvation is found in no one else. This miracle becomes the platform to proclaim the message and to give it its authority. Well, today, we believe that the gifts of God's Spirit are alive and well, that God still has the power to heal people, to do the impossible, and to bring restoration to our world. But we also believe that God has given each of us, by his spirit, different gifts to demonstrate acts of compassion that similarly create a platform for the gospel to be lived out in our world. This is why so often you hear us talking about joining God's work in the world here at Kairos. 
We want to be people who use what we've been given to embody the love of Jesus to the world around us. And I believe this starts just like it did for Peter and John, by taking a deep look at the needs around us. Peter and John demonstrate how deep human contact opens others up to the deep work of God. Well, at the present moment, a great need at the forefront of many of our minds is the ongoing racial injustice in our world. The turmoil that in our country in response to the deaths of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and Breonna Taylor, and more, has brought to light a problem that we can no longer ignore. I think what has happened for many of us is that we've been forced to take a deep look at how this issue of racism is impacting people's lives. And as followers of Jesus, events like these should trouble us. The prophet Micah proclaimed, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. This week I've been so struck by that word require. Acting justly and loving mercy is required of us. It's not an optional add-on to the Christian faith. It's something we're required to seek for the sake of others. Justice and mercy reflect the heart of our God, and we are called to be part of spreading the movement of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We've had our deep look moment. We took an excruciating eight minute and 46 second look at George Floyd, who lost his life before our eyes, and our hearts broke. Many of us felt a surge of anger at the brutality we witnessed. But now is also time for our what do you have moment. What have you been given, and how might God be calling you to respond? Well, it's easy to sit back in disillusionment and wonder, what can I do? Or where do I even begin? If you're anything like me, the issue, it just feels so big, so weighty. And so many of us just feel ill-equipped and unsure of what to do next. So as we ponder our question this morning, what do you have? We need to recognize that something we've all been given is ears. In fact, we have two of them. Which reminds us that we need to start by listening listening not only to the stories that we hear on the news, but listening to the stories of people who we know who are different than we are. We need to look at people, see their pain, and take time to understand their perspectives. We may even have to take a sobering look at ourselves to discover some of the ways that we inadvertently perpetuate the systemic racism that continues in our country. And as we open ourselves up to truly listen and learn from others, we may begin to discover how the Lord is calling us to respond with what we've been given. Well, a group of us from Kairos this past week had a discussion around the book and movie Just Mercy, which I highly recommend, by the way. 
And what I'm learning when it, from this group is that when it comes to issues of race, especially if you are white, we need to do a lot of listening and learning. Last year, a group of us, we did a study on the book, Be the Bridge, exploring God's heart for racial reconciliation. And we invited many of our church's childcare staff to attend and share their stories. It was heart-wrenching to hear firsthand their experiences with racism and inequality. But listening is so important to cultivating deeper understanding and a heart of compassion. I'm so grateful for Jarrett Jackson and Mary Flynn Nemitz who have been giving leadership to this group. So feel free to reach out if you would like to be a part of these future conversations that we're having here as a church. Well, we've all been given the ability to listen and to cultivate deeper understanding and compassion. So as we continue to ponder our question, what do you have this morning? Another thing we've all been given is a voice. We need to use our voices. I read an article by a black seminary professor named Dennis Edwards who said this, white Christians are watching the screens, maybe shaking their heads, but are largely immobile. Do you relate to that statement? Not knowing what to do should not be an excuse for us to be passive or after a moment of horror to just go back to business as usual. We need to use our voices. We've been given a voice to speak out against injustice. And as Christians, this is kingdom work. Many of us have gone about our lives and ignored injustice that our black and brown brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing daily. We've been given voices to speak out against injustice and to pursue God's heart for racial reconciliation. I don't know exactly what that will look like for you. Perhaps it's beginning to speak out in those casual conversations where stereotyping is taking place. Maybe it's sharing with other people some of the things that you're learning about systemic racism. Perhaps it's pursuing friendships with people who are different than you are and being intentional to ask questions and listen to their perspectives. Maybe it's using your voice to speak out wherever you see evil and injustice in our world and linking arms with other people to advocate for change. I've seen some courageous families in our church peacefully protesting, teaching their children about the hard realities of racism in our world so that they can grow up with a heart for justice. This is using your voice. Friends, we've been given ears, we've been given voices, and we've been given a lot of other gifts too, so that with humility and prayer, we can offer them to the Lord to be used by him in this moment. But anytime we start to use the things we've been given for the sake of others, it starts to feel risky, doesn't it? It feels uncomfortable, and it stretches us. It requires courage from the Lord. We may feel ill-equipped, overwhelmed, unprepared, or not sure of ourselves. Sometimes we're so fearful of being insensitive that we just find it easier to not say or do anything. 
I encourage you to begin taking risks. Pray for courage and be willing to use the voice that you've been given. Well, if we jump ahead to Acts chapter 4, we see that it required a lot of courage for Peter and John to speak out, to proclaim the gospel message to the crowd where there were many people who were hostile to this message. Although it says 5,000 people believed their message, it was not well received by those who were in authority. In fact, they got to spend a night in prison as a result of that sermon. However, the next day when they were released, guess what they did? They went right back at it, proclaiming the gospel message to those in power. And Luke, the author of the book of Acts, tells us that people were astonished by their courage. Look what it says in Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Friends, if we've been with Jesus, if his life has truly transformed us, we will courageously use what we've been given for the sake of others. We may feel unprepared and ordinary and wonder what sort of change we possibly could make. But when we've been with Jesus, we're given courage to speak out in his name. And then we trust it's his power that does the extraordinary. We are simply vessels that are willing to use what we've been given for the sake of others. This is a story about ordinary people used by God to do the miraculous. This is also a story of the great power of our God to do a work of healing. I don't know how the Lord will mobilize you to respond in this moment with what you've been given, but let's be people who are willing to take a deep look at others, to listen well, and to use our voices so that we too can be astonished and others can see the power of our God to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, to do a miraculous work of healing in our world. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for your heart for justice and mercy. We pray that you would begin to give us a heart that sees other people the way that you see them. We pray that the things that break your heart would break our hearts too. And Lord, this morning, I pray that you would do a work of courage in each of our hearts. Would you show us those places where you're calling us to listen well? Would you give us courage in those moments where we feel compelled to stand up for injustice. And Lord, we pray that you would pour out your healing on our nation and on our world and begin to do a mighty work of reconciliation. In Jesus' name, amen.